Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. It is, I always say it because it's true, a privilege. It's a joy. It is even a special obligation in some sense to come before the Lord in worship and in praise. It is a privilege that we have that we should not take lightly. Let me say just a couple of things as we get this service going. Jan Farley is trying to complete a 60-mile breast cancer walk, and she's almost there, so pray for her. Neil Pressa is guest preaching at a church in Northern California. And so Elder Nikki Kelly is assisting today. Nikki, thanks a lot. It gets lonely up here. We have a brass quintet with us. Hi, guys. Fantastic. I didn't ask his permission, but I never did ask his permission. Let me introduce to you the Reverend Richard Randall, my former associate pastor for five years at Trinity Presbyterian Church in Tucson, Arizona, and his lovely wife, Mary Kay. Good to have you guys in worship with us today. There we go. Anything you want to know about my former life, talk with Dick. <laughs> and you will tell the truth. Yes, yes. You may be excused now. Friends, we're here to worship God. Let us be called together in worship as we read responsively from Lamentations 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. God's mercies never come to an end. You are all that I have, and therefore I will wait for you. It is good to wait in patience for the salvation of the Lord. So friends, let us worship God. Join me now as we pray together the prayer of confession that is printed in your worship bulletin. Almighty God, we are unworthy to come into your presence because of our many sins. 
we do not deserve any grace or mercy from you. If you dealt with us as we deserve, we have sinned against you, O Lord, and we have offended you. And yet, O Lord, as we acknowledge our sins and offenses, so also do we acknowledge you to be a merciful God, a loving and favorable Father to all who turn to you. And so we humbly ask you, for the sake of Christ your Son, to show mercy to us and forgive us all our offenses. Forgive the sins of our youth and the sins of our old age. By your Spirit, O God, take possession of our hearts, so that not only the actions of our lives, but also the words of our mouths and the smallest thoughts of our minds may be guided and governed by you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit we all honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. May the God of mercy, who forgives us all our sins, strengthen us in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, Keep us in eternal life. Amen. May the peace of Christ be with you. Now please share signs of peace with each other. We're one week closer today to being able to hug each other than we were last week. Let's just look at it that way, shall we? <laughs> Friends, we are entering, of course, an extremely busy season in church life, so bear with me as I mention quite a few things that we need to be aware of. Please also be sure to take home the inserts that are in your bulletin today, study them carefully, mark up your calendars, and plan to participate in as many things as you are able as we celebrate this beautiful season. First of all, today following the service, we'll take a few minutes break, we'll listen to the organ postlude, I'll go up and change clothes, and then come back down and we will have a, a time to get of sharing about my recent trips into Syria and into Lebanon. If you're not able to stay, we will have the report later on available in a recorded version on the church website. We need cookies by this Wednesday, the 24th, so folks can take them down the next day on Thanksgiving to serve a Thanksgiving meal with the folks of God's Kitchen. If you're interested in baking cookies, you don't need to tell us. Just bring them, copious amounts of them. If you want to go down and serve, please email Jan Farley, and she can give you some details about that. Next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent, and we will kick off the season with a celebration called Very Village Christmas. It will be at four o'clock out under the tent. Did you notice the tent, by the way, as you came in? If you did not notice the tent, you need some help. That's all I'm going to say. We will have fellowship and crafts and music and refreshments and some lighting of, of uh, lights and all sorts of good things. It's designed for everybody of all ages, so we hope you can be there. Please do RSVP if you're planning to come. Then on December 3rd, our traditional blue Christmas celebration of those who are no longer with us. On December 4th, breakfast in Bethlehem. On December 8th, the women's luncheon. And there's more, but you can read about it on the insert. Let me remind you that we still are receiving your support for the Angel Tree Program. This year we do not have the tree outside with the little cards on it for obvious reasons. All you have to do is go online and order up uh, the angels that you're going to be providing Christmas presents for. If you don't want to do that, you can go to the table out on the patio and they will go online for you. Or better yet, just give us thousands of dollars and we'll take care of it from there. So I understand we have about 100 angels left to go, and we want to be sure we take care of that. Those are some of the things that are happening in the life of the church. Much more are happening. Plan to be part of it, but let's plan now to continue our worship together.
Let us pray. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, in humility and in hope we come before you in this moment of prayer. You alone are the founding force of all that is and of all that will be. You alone are the saving grace who gives life meaning and joy. And so to you alone we bring the deepest joys, desires, hurts, and needs of our lives. We know that there are many today who face challenges that are beyond anything we have ever known. For the hungry who may never get enough food, for the enslaved who may never enjoy freedom, for the diseased who may never experience healing, for the poor who may never know abundance, we pray. Surely by your power, even they can be blessed with the knowledge of your love. Surely they can have some of your joy in their lives. So we ask that you would grant them these things. Even more, we ask that you would move in the hearts of those who can help so that such human suffering would decrease and one day come to an end. We also know, good Father, of needs within our own community that will not be met without your healing touch. We need you to stir us from our complacency and move us toward action. We need you to give us courage to speak healing words to those whom we've hurt or those who have been hurt by others. We need you to help us find a way to overcome the hatred and division that we so easily embrace for those who are different or those with whom we might disagree. We need you to ease the fear and confusion that is in our own hearts as we stumble our way through uncertain times. We need you to continue to seek us out and to welcome us as we dare to invite you and your life-changing presence ever deeper into our hearts and into lives that grow and then overflow with gracious love into our often loveless world. Oh God, each of us has at least one thing on our minds right now that we cannot shake, one thing for which we most need your intervention, and we name it and speak it to you now. Touch us where we most need it today, and then lead us in the next steps of our journey of life with you. Thank you, Lord, for listening. Thank you for answering. And thank you for your presence with us in your Son, as we pray together in the words that so long ago he taught us to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as tis in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
so that we may give our full attention to the reading and hearing of God's word as we find it recorded in the Gospel according to Luke. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now, his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. There's no place like We could stop now, you got it. <laughs> In 1900, L. Frank Baum wrote a children's fantasy novel that was also a political and social allegory. In 1939, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer released a musical film version of the story, a story about a little girl who runs away from home to save her dog. And she and the dog end up in the land of Oz. Oz. <laughs> 
It's a dream, sort of, but a dream that's true to life. The last line of the movie, spoken by Dorothy in her little blue checked dress and her sparkly red shoes, the last line is, there's no place like home. We have been speaking about home with each other since the beginning of September. And today is our last time to speak of it, in a way. We have noted that we want to go home. We want to be at home. And yet, sometimes we find ourselves lost. And so, to go home, we need to go deeply into the fundamental truths and affirmations and convictions of our faith. We go deep, especially when things get really tough. We've noted that in order to go home, we have to go sometimes not for our own sakes, but for the sake of others because home is not home without others. Sometimes we need to go to find the others and to serve the others and invite them to come back home. Sometimes we need to give what it takes to make a home Because as giving as our God is, one of his gifts to us is the privilege and the responsibility of helping to make home home in a spiritual way and a physical way. Sometimes we have to fix what's broken because home for us is never a perfect place. Sometimes is very far from it. Sometimes we need to remember all the saints who have come before us, who have given us the homes that we have and given us the home that is our home in God. And then we need to think about making sure that home still exists for the generations who will come after us. Sometimes we need to remember that In our getting lost, we begin to focus on all the things that are really not home, and we need to keep the main thing the main thing. Sometimes we need to remember that we must preserve the precious past, because it is the past that informs who we are today that though it never should determine who we will be in the future, still the two are connected with each other. And then always we must remember that we must make our faith, make our love for God, make the convictions that we proclaim and believe that we must make them real in this life intangible acts of service and love for others because home begins here and now. I think it's fitting that we end our time thinking about home with a famous story told by Jesus about a couple of boys and their daddy. I would guess that Pretty much everybody here has heard the story before. And pretty much everybody here thinks we know what the story's about. And that makes it a dangerous story because there's always more to learn and to realize and to apply in the stories that Jesus tells. We call it the story of the prodigal son. And that's not a bad title for the story. But it's actually not a title that comes from the story as Jesus told it. And so we need to think 
even more deeply about the story. Because as soon as I say it's a story about the prodigal son, we automatically come to our conclusions and then we move on to begin to wonder just how long the preacher is going to go today. Well, let's talk about the prodigal son. None of us are that son, are we? I didn't mean just to look at the brass, but I did. I don't know. know. (laughs) Let me look over this. Oh, no, 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 that gets to Juan. That's a whole other story. (laughs) The prodigal son mistakenly believes that true life The best life is to be found away from the Father. And so he leaves home. And for a while, he thinks he's found the good life, but it doesn't last. And he realizes it's not the life that he thought he was pursuing and that he thought he would find. He leaves home only to discover that home was exactly where he needed to be and wanted to be. He knows he's not happy, and so he returns with his proverbial tail between his legs, hoping for scraps, realizing, as he says himself, that he is not a worthy son. We know the story. He finds welcome. He finds forgiveness. He finds life and home again in the heart of the Father. That's the prodigal son. And if we are honest with each other, we will see ourselves somewhere in the story of the prodigal. Maybe, though, more of us see ourselves in the story of the good son, the loyal son, the one who never leaves home, the one who never questions his rightful place with the father. But, but, here's where we need to think more deeply, perhaps. The prodigal son did not know the heart and purpose of his father. And neither did the good son, the loyal son, the one who went to church every Sunday and increased his pledge every year and told the minister how fantastic the sermons were as he walked out of church every Sunday. That son mistakenly believes that his life with the father is predicated on his performance as a good son. But that too is what separates him from the heart of the father and and it separates him from his brother, this son of yours. We can only hope, we don't know, we can only hope that the good and loyal son learned from his father's love how to love his brother. We can only hope that he learned that the true life, the best life, is found in the home that he has, not because of his worthiness, but because of the love of his father. And so that brings us to where our focus really should be. Not on the bad boy, not on the good boy, but upon the father. You and I can talk for a long time about where we have been and maybe still are prodigal in our lives. We can talk for a long time about how we have been and I hope still are good little boys and girls. But really, our focus should be on 
the Father. In this story, we sometimes forget that the Father does what no good, self-respecting Father should do or would do in Jesus' day or even in our own day. His worthless, ungrateful, selfish, foolish son appears a long way off down the road and instead of sitting there waiting for the boy to come groveling before him, he runs to him. And he restores this proven derelict of a person into a position of honor and love, smack dab in the middle of the father's heart. He spends even more of his money on the kid. And he could not be happier that his son is back home. Tim Keller says that this story should be renamed. It's not a story about the prodigal son. It should be renamed the story of the prodigal God. God is prodigal with his love and grace and forgiveness. The two sons, we hope, finally realize in both cases that everything they have always had come, always has come, always will come only from the grace and love of the Father. One of the sons fears that his rejection of the Father removes him from the place where he can experience the Father's love. The other son misunderstands the Father's love. And that too removes him from the place where he can freely and fully experience that love based not only on his own effort and earning, but based only on the love that his Father had for him before he was. Both brothers, we hope, would learn that this profligate, extravagant, prodigal love of the Father is what enables them to love each other. In our secular calendar, we will soon celebrate Thanksgiving. Personally, I give thanks for God that on this one day of the week, of the year, we can take something that we call a vegetable, namely sweet potatoes, <laughs> and we can still call it a vegetable, even though it's smothered in butter and brown sugar and pecans. I don't know what you're thankful for. Thankfulness is directed towards God. I also don't know what people do when they don't believe there's a God to thank, but that's for another sermon. Thanksgiving is about thanking God, the Father, for everything. Even the things that we think we have earned. And don't mistake it, I'm not against our effort. But all of our effort cannot earn God's love because he loved us first. All of our effort cannot earn God's love because all of our effort isn't good enough. The only thing that's good enough is God's love. So Thanksgiving is coming, but Thanksgiving is a newfangled invention compared to the liturgical calendar of the Christian church. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the worldwide Christian church has celebrated this Sunday as Christ the King Sunday because it's the end of the year. Next Sunday is the beginning of the year all over again as we start to look 
at the birth of the Christ into the world. But this Sunday is the end of the year when we celebrate not the end of the year, but the end of all history, the end of God's purpose for all things, to put Jesus the Christ on the throne as a sign and a symbol and expression of the reality that God wins, that death is defeated, that evil is no more, that hatred is defeated. Christ the King Sunday is, in a way, about how God finally, fully, completely accomplishes his purpose for all things and brings it all back home. In the last book of the scriptures, in the next to last chapter, we hear these words. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. God is already at home with us. Will we choose to be at home with him? Thank you, God. Join me as we affirm our faith together in words from the letter to the Colossians. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross.
Our home is not somewhere over the rainbow. Our home is with God, in God, because of God, for God. Our home is where God is, and God is here. But we can choose to go away. And so the question is, will we choose to come back home? Will we choose never to leave home? Will we choose to offer to others what God has offered to us, which is the welcome always to come back home. That's the choice today. That's the choice always. Make a good choice. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all today and forever. Amen.